0: Have you ever had an experience that totally altered your reality? Things were one way before, but then something happened, and now things were fundamentally different. You had to kind of relearn what reality was for you. I'll give you some examples. Uh, Maybe you're a kid, and your family takes a vacation every summer, right, to go visit grandma. And it's a long trip, right? So you get in the car and you're driving across Kansas, let's say, and it's really boring because there's nothing to see in Kansas. And it's 12 hours in the car, and by the time you get to grandma's, you're tired and haggard. And maybe your parents even kind of shoulder you into the house or even lift you up and carry you into that room where you sleep when you go to visit your grandma's. And then the next day rolls around and you wake up and you go, where am I? Because when you sleep at home, your bed is here, and it faces this direction. But now you're at at grandma's place, and and the bed faces this direction. And and so you wake up, and you have the moment where you're like, did I sleep sideways last night? Like, where am I? Oh, yeah, grandma's. Things changed. Life is different. And you're reorienting yourself. Or maybe, maybe you got a new job, but your new job site is kind of in the general direction of your old job site, and you've been at the new job for a couple weeks now, right? And so you're driving to work, and it's Monday morning, and, you know, it's like Monday morning, so it's like this, right? If this could be a feeling, that's Monday morning. You get your coffee, and you get the radio on, and you're thinking about how the day is going to go, or maybe what's going on this week, and, and before you know it, you're, you're pulling up, and you're turning into the parking lot, and you say, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't work here. Why am I here? Right? You realize you missed your turn, you know, five streets back, and so you double back, and you show up a little late, and that's fine because it's Monday morning. Uh, but you're still adjusting to this new reality. For some of us in this room, we've likely had an experience that hit us a little heavier than that, where life fundamentally changed. Uh, say a loved one passed away. And maybe a spouse passed away. The, the person you had slept next to for 30 years of your life passed away. And so you still find yourself sometimes in the house. Something happens and you want to tell them, and so you call out their name. Only to remember, wait a minute, that's not reality now. Or maybe you wake up after a night of sleep and you, and you roll over to say good morning, uh, but to, to that empty pillow next to you. Sometimes things in life hit us and we just aren't prepared for them. We weren't ready to receive the change. And in those times, well, we have to give ourselves time. There's kind of this period of adjusting to life as it is now, you know, a, a new normal takes a long time to get used to. You have to unlearn things that are no longer true and maybe relearn again and again the facts of today, what's true now, the reality that you find yourself in. Well, that's kind of what happened to the disciples on the day of Jesus' resurrection. And maybe you picked up on that as we read those selections from Mark and Luke. Luke, Right? As Aaron said, Jesus had alluded to his death and resurrection over and over again. This wasn't a secret to his disciples, right? To the rest of the world may be a surprise, but to his disciples, he said very clearly, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise. And we saw one of those episodes in, in Mark 9, and it says the disciples, they heard Jesus. The words came in, but they didn't understand him, and they were afraid to ask him. Well, Easter Day dawns and the women are at the tomb and they're, they're going to, to find Jesus and, and to prepare his body again that they didn't have a chance to do. And they get there and there's no body. And the text said they're perplexed. They didn't expect this. This is a surprise. And then the angels show up and they say, guys, this isn't a surprise, right? Jesus told you, right? It happened just as he said. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said, right? They start clapping and singing the mantra. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. And then they go back to the disciples. They rush back to to the rest of the men who are, if you remember, they're cowering in that room, locked doors for for fear of the Jews because they didn't want to end up like Jesus, you know, crucified. And the women show up, and I don't know, maybe they had like a secret knock, you know. And they say, all right, you guys are clear. You come in. And they tell them the news. And the disciples even though they'd heard Jesus, they're hearing it from the women now, they still don't believe it. They, it seemed like an idle tale. What do we make of this? How, what was going on with the disciples that they didn't understand Jesus? I mean, he was pretty straightforward, right? How could Jesus' words simply ricochet off the ears of the disciples and not really sit with them? What, what was it? Why did that happen? Well, clearly, the disciples had not yet understood the fullness of what Jesus had come to do and the promise of His resurrection. The reality hadn't sunk in yet. And there were things that they were going to have to unlearn and maybe relearn again and again until they were living congruent with the facts of Jesus' resurrection. But why did this happen to the disciples and How does that help us? It's kind of what I want to explore today. Why did this happen to the disciples? How does that help us today understand Jesus' resurrection? Uh, The first thing I want to share with you is that the disciples are just like you and me. And what I mean to say is the disciples are people, right? So they lived in a certain time and place and context that fundamentally shaped their worldview. We're all products of what we call culture. There's lots of voices out there that affect how we see the world and how we think about it, and the disciples are no different. Now, they lived a few thousand years ago, right? So their culture was a little different than ours. Um, but real quick, I want to walk through some ideas about the afterlife. I'll throw them on the screen here for you. So these are ancient views on the afterlife, right? One view would be there is no afterlife. When you die, you die. That's it. It's over. But there were many who did believe in an afterlife, and some of the pagan notions of the afterlife uh, always involved some sort of disembodied reality, right? So the body that you had when you died, that's done and done away with and no longer yours. Now, maybe you'll reincarnate into another body or being, Or maybe you will just exist as a spirit altogether. You won't have a fleshly body, but you'll just be spirit and some sort of uh, uh, non-bodily existence. Uh, Maybe you will will adapt into the all-soul, as it were, of creation. And then you have the Jews, and they had a very unique belief because the Jewish people actually believed in a physical resurrection, right? But The Jews didn't think you just died and then immediately rose from the dead. It was a two-step process, right? Uh, So when you died, the Jews said you went to a place called Sheol. If you read the Old Testament, you'll come across that word a lot, Sheol. And you'll say, What? Why is the psalmist saying he's going down to Sheol? Where is Sheol? Sheol is the resting place of the dead. Right? So everyone goes to Sheol. When you die, you got to go somewhere, and they called that place Sheol. It was kind of seen as the underworld, you might say. And your soul then would wait until what the Jews commonly called the last day, which was the day that the resurrection was supposed to happen. So the Jews believed that everyone was going to die, but one day a resurrection would happen, and those who were found righteous by God would live, while the wicked would be uh, uh, done away with, so the righteous would thrive and the wicked would not. But not even all of the Jews held to this third view. All right, so this is how funky it gets and how mixed up. There are groups of Jews who didn't believe in a physical resurrection, like the Sadducees. You remember those guys? They come, and they question Jesus, and they test him one time specifically about resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in physical re- resurrection. They may have been influenced by a fellow named Philo. Uh, He was a formidable uh, philosopher and influencer in in cultural thought, especially for Jews. And Philo also believed there wasn't a physical resurrection. And he was born just a generation before Jesus in 25 BC. So you got a whole lot of people who don't believe in a physical resurrection. Then you got some people who do, but even within them, a lot of people don't believe in a physical resurrection. But still there were some who held to that Jewish belief, uh, like Martha. And we'll throw this verse up on the screen. Maybe you remember Jesus when he goes to visit Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus. And what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, your brother is going to rise again. And Martha says, the orthodox Jewish belief, right? I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day one thing is clear looking at the ancient world. There's one idea that does not exist on that map at all, and that is what Jesus did. Because Jesus didn't die and wait to be resurrected on a last day, but Jesus' resurrection happened ahead of the resurrection that the Jews always believed in. No one thought that one person in advance of the rest would come back from the dead. And so when the disciples, when they heard Jesus' predictions, I'm going to die and rise in three days, they didn't have a way to understand that. It was totally off the map. It was just like nonsense to them because no one talked that way. No one believed that way. They were steeped in their own culture. But Jesus... He broke the mold. He broke their cultural ideas. He surprised them with his three-day sleep and then resurrection. All right, fast forward. What does this have to do with us? Let's look at modern. 2,000 years gone by, not a lot has changed on the spectrum of ideas about what happens when you die, okay? So there's still the view of no afterlife today. And that one maybe is, I don't know if it's more popular than the ancient world, but certainly if you believe that the whole world is physical, that reality is only what you could feel and touch, you know, that you're the product of evolution and that everything going on in your body is just chemicals, then you don't believe in the supernatural. You don't believe in a soul or a life after death. So that one still exists. There's still pagan notions of a disembodied reality. A reincarnation exists. I don't know that how many people actually believe in reincarnation in the West. People talk about karma a lot, which is an idea from that religion. That doesn't make sense to believe if you don't believe in the rest of the religion. Um, But actually, the goal, just so you know, of Hinduism is not to be reincarnated, actually. The goal of that philosophy and that religion is to escape the body. It's to break the cycle of reincarnation and so be a spirit that exists non-bodily because the physical is seen as bad. And a lot of people see the material world as kind of a cage that we're trapped in. So, that still exists. But then we have, at the end, the continuation of that Jewish belief that is now our Christian belief of a physical resurrection. And it's still a two-step process, right? Except we don't ever say typically, you know, he died and went to Sheol, right? What do we say? He died and went to heaven. Heaven. But I wonder, and this might be notable for you if at the beginning of this service, when you're thinking about the ultimate Christian hope, what your thoughts were. Because I know in my experience as a Christian, what I've heard more than anything, what I've probably thought in my life more than anything, is not so much represented by this slide, but if we go one more slide. Wait for it. No! The computer screwed up. Okay, I'll tell you what I did on this slide. It's the same exact as the last one, except the word heaven was made into a much bigger font, and the resurrection of of the dead, or on the last day, is much smaller. That's been my experience as a Christian. When people talk about the ultimate hope of being a Christian, they talk about dying and going to heaven. They talk about uh, uh, dying and being with Jesus in heaven, escaping this material world, and going to live in heaven. And if you thought that too, well, you're kind of like the disciples. We're like the disciples, right? We're influenced by our culture. But it's a really odd thing as Christians for that to be, if that's your reality or your thoughts, that's an odd thing because the New Testament hardly talks that way. In the New Testament and through Jesus, what we constantly see is resurrection, resurrected life, bodily life as our ultimate hope. Now, some people say, wait a minute, what about Jesus? He was talking about the kingdom of heaven a lot, right? The kingdom of heaven. He did use that word heaven. You're right. But anytime Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, he was always bringing that to bear on earth. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus will say, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's in your presence. Think about the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Jesus' mission was to bring that kingdom of God, that kingdom of heaven, to make it a reality on earth. The New Testament speaks constantly of the resurrection of the dead. This is a hope. Paul says if we don't have the hope of the resurrection, we're to be pitied among more than the rest of humanity because we staked our hopes on it. So it's odd. It's odd. When Jesus is asked about our hope as Christians in him, uh, in John chapter 5, we'll throw it on the screen if it works. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't say dies and goes to heaven. He says he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life already. Already he has passed from death to life. So how do we get here? How, did, how does this teaching, if this is new to you, if this is surprising to you, if this is challenging to you, stick with me. And don't beat yourself up. How do we get here? We're like the disciples. We're impacted by our culture. We're impacted by the voices around us, by even Christian culture. Christians in the medieval days did a number on us in terms of how we think about heaven and hell and limbo, like Dante's Inferno, if you've read that. That's not scriptural. It's really interesting, but it's not scripture. Maybe it came from movies, you know, where we see people uh, of their ultimate hope being going to heaven and maybe getting their wings and becoming an angel. I saw it as a kid in my own church by artwork depicting heaven, you know, my hope as a Christian. And the painting was, you know, pearly gates and like a kingdom, but everyone was on clouds and they had harps. And it was this, like, floaty experience. And as a kid, I always thought, am I really even going to like heaven? Is this going to, this seems weird. I can't relate to this existence, right? We're like the disciples. There's going to be things to unlearn and some things probably to relearn for all of us. But what if, what if the new orientation was better? What if you fell asleep after that long trip and when you woke up, the view was, I'm trying to think of a really good view. Let's say Greece. Let me use that in the second service because Don went there. Greece sounds gorgeous, beautiful, exotic. You woke up and there was a huge, massive window in this glorious scene before you. What if uh, on your drive to work, you were driving to a new place, but somehow the drive was different now. It's the same stuff, the same trees, the same sky, but you weren't looking at it before. And now on your drive, you're looking up. You're saying, wow, this is really gorgeous. It's beautiful. We're going to unpack a lot of things in the coming weeks about what this means for us, but I want to tease out just one for you today, just real quick here. Because I think that the resurrection of the dead, as we profess in our creeds, is a hope like that, above and beyond heaven. And I don't want to get you wrong. Don't, Don't feel bad for hoping for heaven. Heaven is a hope. It's a good thing to die and to be with Jesus like the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That is good. It's just not the ultimate hope. And I want to show you how. How does heaven impact your life today? How does heaven help you get through what you're going through today? If you're like me, when you're going through a hard time or a hard season, you say, this is tough, I don't like this, but I know one day, someday, everything's going to be better, right? One day when I die and go to heaven, then everything's going to be right, and I cling to that. What do you do when when your relationships are, are struggling and there's a distance between you and a person, and you think, oh, this is so frustrating and heartbreaking, and I wish it was different. I know heaven, for me, I've said, well, one day it will be, one day. And I hold on to that hope, and it does help in a sort of way. But what does it do for today? Do you still feel yourself confused, perplexed, lost in the moment as to what God is up to right now in my life, while I'm on this earth in my life? Do you feel sometimes like those disciples locked in that room, out of fear, hoping that maybe one day things will be different? My friends, the resurrection is a hope for today. Because when I'm in a difficult season of my life, when I'm going through something that is hard, I don't have to say one day God is going to make it right. I ask myself, what did God do in the resurrection He took what had happened, what was wrong. He took the death, the beating, the suffering of Jesus, and he used it for good. Not someday, but as Jesus said, you have passed from death to life already. When I only hold on to heaven as my hope, sometimes I want to barricade myself away from the world and say, ah, let me just be safe in this room. I don't want to go out there. It's bad out there. Culture's bad. Pastor told me culture's bad at church today. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that. That's what I do when I hope on, hold on to heaven as my only hope. But the resurrection tells me that no matter what I face out there, God is with me. And He's not going to abandon me. And God has actually placed me into the pain and the difficulty of what I'm dealing with to do something about it. And most of the time I'm too afraid <laughs> and I don't want to. But God's Spirit, that Spirit, given to you in your baptism, and to me, it motivates us to lean in, to rely not on a place but on a person. Our hope is not in a place It's in a person. Our hope is not in heaven. It's in Jesus who answered Martha that day at the tomb of Lazarus saying, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I hope you'll walk with us here at Saints Peter and Paul as we discover all that that life means for us and as we hope not in a place but in a person, in Jesus, in his name. Amen.